You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. is the 23rd Psalm, and I will just read it even though you know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Been up here in a while. I'm out of practice. It's so bright. I can't see anyone. It's probably a good thing. Um, Psalm 23, no doubt, is the most popular psalm and probably one of the most popular portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. If you attended Sunday school as a child at basically any church in the universe, your Sunday school teacher probably asked you to memorize that psalm. Maybe you have it hanging somewhere on your wall or in your home or you have a bookmark. Somewhere that has been pressed into your memory at some point in your life, those six verses of poetry, maybe the, uh, one of the greatest poems ever written. I don't know if you could ever turn it into a song. It is six verses. Maybe that's why your Sunday school teacher wanted you to learn that one. It's actually tied for the shortest psalm in the Bible. Oh, they can probably handle this one, and it's pretty good to boot. So, but we've all heard it, and we've all uh, known it and read it, and like I said, can probably quote it. But have we ever actually taken it and stopped and said, what am I reading here? What is being said to me? And I think sometimes we get in, caught up in making sure we read the Bible. Oh, we've got to read the Bible every day. have got to tick a box, read the Bible. Whether it be in a book like this or your phone or iPad or whatever, got to make sure I read the Bible. But too often we don't take enough time to actually stop and think about what we're reading. And I think we'd be better served to focus not on how much we, we read, but what we actually take in when we're reading it. So if, if you're insistent, I have to read three chapters a day, but you're just speed reading through it, you'd actually be better off to stop and say, I'm just going to read one chapter. But then I'm going to go back and say, what did I just read? Because I get caught up in it. We all do. Is I have no clue what God just said. I just read two chapters of the Bible. It was a bunch of names and places I don't can't pronounce. And that's all I really got out of it. Sometimes we need to stop and just take it more seriously and more literally which brings me to my next point there are two words these are my this is my airing of grievances they gave me a microphone there are two words in the english language that are so misused today and it drives me crazy the first one is surreal i don't really have a lot of time to talk about that tonight but i just want you to know that everything in life is not surreal in fact that's the exact opposite of the meaning of that word and the second one, second one is literally. That has become such an overused word 
mostly by the generation that's not in here tonight. They're downstairs. But they use that word constantly, and they use it for the exact opposite meaning of the word. My son may come in and say, we literally have nothing to eat. And I look around the kitchen, and I see apples and bananas and oranges. But he meant literally nothing that he wants to eat. I'm like, there's food everywhere in this house. There's stuff to eat. Your daughter may say, I literally have 100 homework assignments this week. That's impossible. You have five classes. You don't have 100 homework assignments. And I'll say this one in duck. Your wife may come to you, gentlemen, and say, I literally have nothing to wear, but the closet door won't even close. There's stuff to wear. So it's not that you literally have nothing to wear. It's you literally have nothing that you like. That could be true. Literally means exactly, truthful, to not exaggerate. Yet now we use it to exaggerate everything. It's kind of weird, humans. I wonder people who English isn't their first language have such a hard time trying to figure out what we're talking about because we just take words we don't and change their meaning and the dictionaries eventually catch up. Sometimes, though, we need to take the scriptures more literally and say, you know, what God's saying these words, he's not just saying them for no reason. It, it, the Psalms are great po- poems. They weren't written in English, though, so they don't rhyme. They're not songs that we're going to get up and sing word for word. Some of them are pretty clunky. They wouldn't make for a hit Christian single. But those words were written for a reason, and we need to stop and just say, hey, what's, what's being said here in this 23rd Psalm? And let's not just quote it, but let's break it down and see what we're talking about. So my title tonight is, If the Lord is Your Shepherd. And I, I want that first part to be, to be noted where it says, if. Because sheep have no choice. I think it's been well documented. Uh, Pastor Carter can talk about it because he actually had them, but he's said it quite a few times. And it's well-known fact. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals that God has created. They basically do what they're told. They can be round up by a dog. Okay, A dog can take care of sheep. Um, humans take care of sheep, and basically they just do what they're told, and that's why they have the staff. And The staff goes this way, they go to that. They go the way the staff goes. They don't think, they just do what they're told. Humans, we're not like that. We have a lot of free will. We like having it our own way. And I think that's part of why God often referred to himself as a shepherd and us as sheep, because there's a sacrifice that needs to be made by human beings in following the Lord. And you need to say, you know what, I know other things, I have a will, I have other desires, but I'm willing to give that up and be more like a sheep and let my shepherd lead me. So if the Lord is your shepherd, that's how he starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord isn't your shepherd, the next five verses really don't mean anything to you. Because I think the way the psalm is meant to go is, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the next five and a half verses are everything that I gain because of that. If the Lord isn't your shepherd, whether you're sitting here tonight, watching online, live, or in the future, whatever, then you need to deal with that first. The Lord needs to become our shepherd before we can start claiming what David proclaims in the next five and a half verses. Because the first thing he says is, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. That sounds good. That means we're going to get everything we want in life, right? No, unfortunately not. That doesn't seem to line up. The Bible says that God will provide all of our needs, but not our wants, unfortunately. 
I think really what that is saying, if we could break that down differently, is I shall not want means I will learn to be content. Means you won't want stuff because you're content with what God has given you. Oh, he didn't like that. <laughs> Listen, we can't all be millionaires. If everyone's a millionaire, then being a millionaire isn't any good. I said that one time downstairs in Sunday school, and like a light bulb went off, and some of the young people's like, yeah, you're right. We'd all have a million dollars. What good would that be? We all can't have every talent. We all can't have all the things we want in life. Okay, If we did, we wouldn't appreciate it anymore. We have to learn to be content. That's one of the main things of being a Christian is just being content with what God gives you and not wanting more stuff. What God gives you is a blessing, and you should be thankful for it. And it doesn't mean that where you are right now is where you're going to have to be forever in life. But sometimes we, we have way too much time wanting and not enough time waiting and trusting God to provide it. I, sh I shall not want. Now, the second one, second verse, so you can tell this isn't going to take too long. This is six verses. So He makes me lie down in the green pastures, and he leads me, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, beside the still waters. He's my shepherd. What's the shepherd's job? Like it was not a high-profile career path in Bible days. Okay, David was what he the eighth son of Jesse, and he got like the worst job that there was. In fact, Jesse forgot he had him. He they're out anointing all these brothers, and they're like, "Well, I guess none of them." Oh yeah, I do have one more son. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would never happen these days. Okay, but David had that job. It wasn't a high-class glam job. We know the Egyptians didn't want to be around the Israelites at first because they were shepherds. You know, the shepherds were the first people to be told about the birth of Jesus. That was God's way of saying, I'm telling basically the, the minimum wagers of society first before I tell the kings and elect people. The Lord, what's the shepherd's job? Basically, is to keep the sheep safe. And that's the same thing God's saying. His job is to keep you safe from things that can harm you. Things that you don't even know about that can harm you. He wants you to survive. He wants you to fulfill your purpose. He brought you into the church for a reason, and now he's trying to keep you in the church by telling you to lie down in this green pasture. There's a lot of people in the world say, oh, you Christians, you know, you, God is your crutch, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you won't go here, and you won't go there because God told you not to. And a lot of people lose out in their relationship with God because they feel that God is controlling them too much, and they want to go do what they want to do, and they want to have their own free will. And, but that's the opposite of what God's saying here. Lie down in this green pasture. Oh, but God, look, there's something better over there. Look, they're having way more fun. If I could just leave this green pasture to go over there, I can see that they're having more fun. They're making more money. They have nicer stuff over there, God, but you're making me stay here in this green pasture. I just want to go over there and see. And a lot of people, that's, if you want to trace down, where did they lose out with God? They started looking and saying, I want to go over there. God keeps making me stay here. I want to go over there. But staying in that pasture is actually what's protecting you and keeping you safe. We all know the grass is not greener on the other side, but there's a lot of times we think it is. 
And we can't tell until we get over there and realize, oh, shoot, there's stuff over here. I didn't know how bad it was. Now I'm stuck. I should have stayed where God had me the whole time. God's not in the business saying, oh, those wolves look friendly. You can go over there. It's okay. Nothing bad's going to happen over there. As long as you just come back by 8 o'clock, you'll be fine. No, he's saying, don't go near anything that can kill you. It will probably hurt you. It may destroy you. Even in the book of Genesis, when the story of Abraham and Lot, they, they got too rich for their own good, and they needed to go their own separate ways, the Bible says. And they looked, and there was two ways to go. I don't know if it's east or west, north or south. I didn't research it that much. But there was a green pasture, and then there was another land. And Lot, being who he was, said, yeah, I'll take the green pasture. And Abraham said, okay, that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll go the other way. Now, it says he pointed himself towards Sodom. Had he just stayed in the green pasture, I think he would have been fine. But he didn't do that, did he? He got there, and then he kept looking. What's over in that city over there? I hear a lot of noise, loud music, fun, laughter, excitement going on. And he kept getting closer and closer and closer until he left the green pasture that God had given him. Next thing you know, he's living in the city. We're led to believe he's a councilman. He's basically part of the government. He's entrenched in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't want to lay in the green pasture that God had chosen for him. And if it wasn't for his uncle having a burden and pleading with God, he would have died in that city. But he found his way out. Listen, sometimes we don't like when God says, you know, just stay here for a while. We get impatient. It's human nature. Just stay here. Oh, I don't like it here. It's boring here. It's the same thing every day. Can I just go somewhere else? Can I do something? No, I need you to sit down and stay here right now. Eventually, we're going to move on. Eventually, we're going to go somewhere else. But right now, I just need you to stay here because this is where I can keep you safe. Think about that. God's saying, this is where I can keep you safe. You say, well, God's omnipotent. He can, he, he's everywhere. He can do anything. Yeah, but sometimes we take ourselves out of his hand. And then he can't really intervene on our behalf anymore. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It's not what I'm saying. But you can put yourself in a position where God's saying, if you go out there, you're on your own. Listen, we all have had that temptation. Some of us have done it. And God has brought us back and we found our way back home. So many we know that they got out there and then they never found their way back yet. I hope they do. But I don't want to even mess around with that because what if I do get lost? What if you do get lost? But it's kind of cool how David laid this out because in the third verse, he says, just in case you didn't stay. He says, he restores us and he leads us on paths of righteousness. You can't restore something. It's like when the preacher gets up and says, we need to have revival. And the old lady in the front row says, we haven't even had revival yet, so what's the point of having revival? There's a Pentecostal joke for you. <laughs> you can't restore something unless it's been beaten down. Unless it's gotten old, gotten rusty, paint's chipped away. I don't know. I have, 
I'm useless at fixing anything, but I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room that could take something that is, looks broken, looks old, looks like it needs some TLC, and take it and give it that TLC and restore it and make it look amazing again. Okay? That's restoring, is taking something that's old, something that's been, been through a few storms, been through a few beat, beatings and bad times, been dropped a few times, has a few splinters and cracks or whatever it is, and take it and restore it to its intended use. That's what restoring is. It indicates that no matter what, no matter how hard we try, we will wear down. We will be battered. We will go through storms. But we have a promise in verse number three here that says, God will restore us. He will restore our soul. There is no fountain of youth for our bodies, unfortunately. It's going to wear down too. We're going to get older. And we're probably not going to get back to what we were when we were in our 20s. If you're in your 20s right now, just live it up. Live it up. But he will restore your soul. Your soul will become young again. Your soul will work exactly the way God intended it to in its original intended purpose, which is what? To live for him in eternity forever. That's what restoring your soul is going to be? Then sign me up for that. He will restore our soul. If the Lord isn't your shepherd, who's going to restore you? You cannot restore yourself. You cannot save your own soul. You can't be good enough to get entrance into heaven. We know that. That's not new. That's not a new doctrine. You need a Savior. You need someone who will pick you up in your worst moment. Pull you out of the world, maybe. Many of us didn't grow up in the church. Pull you out of the world when you had no clue who God really even was. And say, I'm here to restore you and change you and bring you back. I am going to point you on the path of righteousness. The Lord is your shepherd. You can avoid so much pain and so much suffering just by listening when he says, don't go that way, go this way. And our human nature is like, but what's over there? Why? We were driving into church tonight, and there was a police car, fire truck, and ambulance. We're just like, what's over there? What's going on? Need to know. We want, we want to see every little thing. Oh, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go into the fire. I just want to see what's happening. But you can avoid it and say, if God says, this is the path of righteousness that I'm leading you on, you say, okay, I'm going to go this way. You can avoid so much pain, so much heartache, so much addictions, all these things that you don't even need to know about just because you let God lead you down the right path. 803, wow. Verse number four. Four of six, so we're over halfway there. This one's amazing. I love this. You know, if you took away all the other verses of Psalm 23 and just kept verse number four, that would be good enough. It would still be a hit record for me. Uh, one of the most amazing scriptures ever. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If you're old enough to remember this, on the evening of September 11th, 2001, then the then President of the United States, George W. Bush, addressed his nation and the entire world. Talked about a lot of the things, talked about a lot of the events that had taken place that day. 
But he ended it by reading that particular verse of the Bible. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, that actually was surreal, in case you're wondering what that word means. Surreal means an event that's almost like a dream. You can hardly believe it's happening. September 11th, surreal. Graduating high school, not so much. <laughs> Sorry. But he quoted that scripture, and I remember thinking, if you weren't scared that night, you're a liar, okay? There was a lot of fear going on in the world. Nobody knew what was happening, and nobody knew what was going to happen on September 12, 2001, if we're all going to be honest. A lot was happening, but he read that scripture, and even, you know, I, Tanya and I had been married for just about a year at that time. We were in our, we were in our 20s, our young 20s. We didn't know anything about anything. But I remember, if the President of the United States can read that scripture, and I felt something, and it even gave me chills that night, and I even went on YouTube this week, and I re-watched his speech. It's a three-minute speech, but when he gets to that point, it gave me chills. It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to have to go through things that you don't like, that are very terrifying and scary sometimes. You're going to have to walk through death sometimes, but you just keep walking, you just keep walking, and you don't fear evil. Why? The, the reason is so awesome. It's not because, oh, God's strong. Oh, because, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. or anything. No, it's because thou art with me. That's the part. Thou art with me. Brother Donnie's message on Sunday night, the presence of God. You need the presence of God. You don't fear evil. Why? Because you're with me. That's a promise for anybody in this place. If the Lord is your shepherd, no matter where you go or what happens to you tonight, tomorrow, or 10 years into the future, you have a promise that you can take to the bank and cash the check. The Lord is with you. You could be anywhere doing anything. The Lord is with you. There's a song. It's quite old now, but it's um, a Christian song by the artist Mendisa, and it's basically called um, You Are With Me. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. Something With Me. It's an amazing song. Listen to it. Go onto your Spotify and look it up or whatever. And basically she talks about all these different situations and things in life that you may have to go through. And she says, he's with you through every single one of those. If you're at the hospital and the worst day of your life, he's with you. If you're getting fired from your job or laid off, he's with you. If your kids are in trouble and you don't know what to do, he's with you. He is with you. If the Lord is your shepherd, he is with you. Amen. Oh, the world is evil. Don't, don't think it's not for a minute. The world is evil. This, and I'm not talking about COVID. There's a lot going on in the world, and COVID is the least of our worries, what's going on. But we don't have to worry about it because we know we have God in our life, and we just need to do our thing. Oh, look, it's right here in my notes. The song is called He Is With You. It's a good song. It really is a good song. Um, when you're going through something, you put that on, and you'll just, your arms will just, you'll feel your muscles just start to go, and you're like, you know, I'm not afraid of this. I can do anything with Christ in my life. Amen. But the world is evil. And though I walk through the shallow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Whew.
Number five, again, this is where we get into, oh, we've read this so many times. I've heard this script. That my, I was in primary class of Sunday school when I first heard this, Psalm 23. I've known this all my life. How many times have you read verse 5 and never really stopped to think about it? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Just stop and think about what we just read there. At some point, I don't know if it's on this side or in the life to come, but at some point, God is going to invite you to a great celebration. You are going to come to a huge table I'm picturing it's going to be filled with all the kind of food you could ever think about wanting in your life. And if you're hungry right now, I hope that's hitting you right where it should. God is going to pull out a chair specifically for you and ask you and invite you to sit down at this feast. He is going to take your cup and he is going to fill it with whatever your favorite drink is. Milk, Pepsi, Coke, coffee, whatever, Dr. Pepper for me. He's not even going to have to ask you. He's already going to know. Oh, I know, I know Mark Robertson. What is it, Mark? What's your favorite drink? Coffee? Brother Robertson needs coffee. He's going to fill your cup so much it's going to overflow. And once you're done, he's going to say, would you like a refill? He's just going to keep filling that cup. You're going to eat. That's all awesome. That's all exciting. But the part that's amazing about that verse is there's going to be other people there watching this, thinking, man, I wish I had a seat at that table. Who did he say was going to be there? In the presence of my enemies. They're not at the table. They don't have a cup in their hand. They don't have a fork or a plate. They're sitting there watching as the Lord honors you and seats you at that great celebration. Everyone who ever pushed you down, every lie, every abuser and accuser, cancer, diabetes, every sickness, all these things, all this evil, all those people who told you you're an idiot for living for God, maybe someone who, who did something terrible to you in your past, they're all going to be there. The devil himself, they're all going to be there watching as you and I are honored, sitting there saying, I wish I could sit at that table with them. Listen, being a Christian is not easy, and if you're doing it right, there are going to be people come against you and say, you're wasting your life. You're foolish. Look at you going to that church. Look at you how much money you give to that church every year. You could, be, you could have a retirement home. You could have so many other things. You, you could have so much more fun if you, listen to me. Don't give up now because there's a celebration day coming where you're going to be in the seat of honor and they're going to be standing around saying, I wish I would have listened to that person. Oh, I wish I would have gone to church. They invited me 10 years ago and I said I didn't want to go and then they invited me 5 years ago. I said, I'm, no, I'm still not ready and now I'm standing here wishing I could be part of that. That's amazing. David, just six verses. He's just writing these things. It's amazing. The last one says, Surely 
goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I want to take that one literally, God. I want to look over my shoulder and be like, mercy, goodness. I just picture them like, you know how they say angels are like these people who see angels, like they're seven feet tall, completely ripped, just huge guys. That's what I want to think. I'm like, hey, goodness, mercy, walking right behind me. There's not a place I walk into in this world, no matter how scary or difficult or hard it might be, that mercy and goodness are not standing right behind me and behind you, walking in with you. You're like, oh, I got a big meeting with the boss tomorrow and I'm a little nervous. Don't be scared. Goodness is standing right beside you. Mercy is on the other side. They're seven feet tall. God forbid that he ever revealed that to your boss. He'd be like, who are your friends? I, I don't know. Maybe that's too literal for that. But why not? Just believe God for incredible things. It says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no reason you ever have to leave the church. Doesn't mean you can't, and it doesn't mean we won't, but there's no reason from God that we ever have to. He promised you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The world is scary right now. Well, you're all here, so I'm not too worried about you. You. Maybe someone's going to watch this online. Maybe someone you know. Maybe someone that you're connected to. Maybe it's someone who used to serve the Lord with you. Could be a family member, friend, anyone. The world scares me right now. There is nothing, as far as I can see, that is holding back what we have preached forever, the end times. Show me the thing that we're waiting on. I can't find it. It's all there. And people are lining up. To fall for it. You, there's some people, you can't even talk to them anymore. They are brainwashed. Maybe we are too, but I feel like we're brainwashed with at least the right stuff. But there is nothing, no reason why you don't have to be here. Now, you got to work. I'm not talking about that. You're on vacation. I'm talking about there's no reason why you have to leave the church. And if the devil's saying you got to get out of there, that pastor said something that annoyed you so much, you're so offended by what they're doing there, you're so worried and concerned, someone didn't social distance enough, Someone social distance too much. You can find anything you want to think of. The carpet's too green. But you have a promise. God says, don't leave the church. I promised you, you get to stay in the church forever and ever. If the Lord is your shepherd, you'll have, we'll have enough sense to say, I'm not leaving. There may be some songs I don't like. There may be some people I don't like. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Not you guys. But it's never going to be enough of a reason for me to leave. Now, just by saying that, I put a huge target on my back. But I wanted to say it because it's important enough for me to say it to all of you. Don't let there be any reason why you leave, especially now. Listen, some of you have been here forever, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. But if you leave now, 
Like, you've gone all the way with this thing. We're so close. If you leave now, don't leave now. Now's the time to pitch your tent and say, oh, you know what, I want to be here as much as I can. I don't have to work. Maybe I'm retired. I don't have to work as much as I used to. I can be here on Wednesday nights. I can be here on Friday nights. I just want to be here. So important that we be here. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have it all figured out all the time. Sometimes we don't feel like being here. I talked to four people who said, oh, I'm really tired tonight. That's okay. You're here. I'd rather fall asleep in the presence of God, Brother Donnie, than to be out partying without him somewhere. And I think God sees it the same way. He knows our limitations, our flesh sometimes. We do get tired. We do get worn out. But just being here sometimes is enough. Just hearing the song. Just being involved in the prayer. Amen. I have no more scriptures. There's only six of them. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.